Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular podcast episode is even more different uh, as we are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, while all socially isolating. Um, so of course we're not in the same room, but we're using Zoom. Um, our audio quality might be a little different than what you're used to hearing, uh, but we are doing the best we can with what we have. You might hear sirens in the background, um, an unfortunate side effect to this pandemic, more sirens than usual. We're also not in our recording studio. So, I think those are all the, the caveats for this for now. Uh, but without further ado, I am so, so, so excited to, um, to bring on our podcast guest for today. Um, we have Dylan Goodman, he and his pronouns. Hi, Dylan. Hi, I'm so good to be here. Oh, wow. I'm so happy you're here. And you know, I, I realize now I forgot to confirm with you if I could share your pronouns and that, I just made an educated guess. Uh, Dubs, that's okay. Also on my Zoom, I have them listed, so it's all good. That's true. So Dylan, before we kind of dive into like the regular content of the podcast, how are you doing? This is like such a weird fucking time and God, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, um, it's um, cuckoo bananas is what I continue to refer back to. Um, also to be here, in this moment during Passover is especially um, strange and isolating. Uh, I'm alone in my Brooklyn apartment. Um, I've been basically quarantined by myself for four weeks. Um, both of them, I had two housemates and they actually left when things were starting to turn in New York City. Um, so it's been quite a journey. A lot of uh, slowing down and sinking into myself uh, and then in particular on the first night of Passover, um, welcoming in the night that you usually save a cup for Elijah and also a cup for Miriam. And I've never been so excited to have two imaginary guests <laughs> at my empty table. I was like, oh my God, like these are my companions tonight. Yeah. Um, so it just, it's a wild time. It, there's a lot of fear, but also um, I'm finding a lot of hope and returning to myself and being able to reflect um, and get back to what really matters, just thinking into what really matters to me. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, it's got to be so tough to have had two roommates and have them leave, and you're kind of just like, okay, I'm in this with myself. Yeah, it, uh, there was literally, like, when my last roommate left, I had a period of about 30 minutes to an hour when I got really, really sad, uh, and then something shifted and I said to myself, you are going to get through this. You can't sink into, um, a dark place right now because there isn't time. And I just clicked into the survival mode and I went to the grocery store and I stocked up and I started to just, I was like, this is what it is. You can't grieve what could have been. This is what is happening. 
So I've just been living in a, a constant state of, of presence, I think. Wow. And that's what gets me through. Dang, constant state of presence. Do you think that's something that you'll be able to hang on to once <laughs> we start integrating ourselves back into the world? Because I feel like it's such a rare, I think especially in New York, a rare thing to be able to really sit with yourself and like like you were saying, like return to yourself. Um, there's so much time to do that. And I'm, I, I wonder like what kinds of things that we're doing now for survival mode and things that we're, um, we're grateful for that we, we didn't maybe stop and think about before. Like what, what of those things are going to translate like AC after Corona? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. Well, I definitely am going to be cooking more. I, I like, and I will never ever, um, take for granted going to a restaurant ever again. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I know. I'm just like, oh, what would I, what I would give to just unabashedly order pizza right now? Like, so mm. amazing. Um, but uh, I think I'm, there's something that's been true of this moment, which is that a lot of my, you know, we all carry stories in our head um, that, are often negative or like based in shame, especially as queer people. Um, and I was talking to my therapist and I was like, you know, when I'm typically when I have these thoughts or like when a story comes up, I can just distract myself. And I said, I was like, I'm so angry and annoyed that I can't distract myself. And my therapist said, that's actually a, an amazing time. Um, she said, I don't want you to distract yourself. I want you to actually unpack where those stories come from and uh, disprove them. Like now is the time to disprove them. Uh, so hopefully that learning follows me. I think it will. Um, like a lot of fears about like being alone. Um, I'm now facing them and I'm like, oh, like it's not so scary as I thought to be alone. I actually do have a big network and a group of people who love me and I can lean on them and I don't feel so scared. Uh, so in some ways I'm facing one of my biggest fears in this moment and I'm okay. Wow. That's such a, like, um, like an important and crucial takeaway. Like that's huge. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Thanks Dobbs. You're yeah. welcome. Um, okay. So I meant to tell you this, um, pre this, but, um, I'm going to be taking notes. So if you see me typing, um, that, that's so I don't forget things, important things that you're saying that I make sure we come back to. So that in mind, um, we all have multiple coming out stories. And so I would love to hear one that you would be willing to share. Thank you. Of yeah. Course. Um, so this is an oldie, but a goodie. I, my original coming out moment, um, that I define as like the, the big turning point was when I was at college, I was in college and I was a sophomore at Davidson College in North Carolina. And there was this senior guy and he was out and queer and he just like was enigmatic and he was studying poetry. And there are just so many things about him that were a big queer swoon to me um, as this closeted um, queer person. And he took an interest in me and we started to develop this flirtationship 
and that looked like me confiding in a lot of friends saying, oh, like, I think I have a crush on this person and also help and also I'm gay. And um, just a lot of me going on runs with friends and then telling me how to text a boy and, <laughs> uh, you know, overreading so many conversations um, took away a lot of that learning too. Um, <laughs> But there was a moment when he went away for this trip um, and suddenly the texting just like stopped. Uh, and prior to that, like we had had a conversation um, in which I had told him that I did have feelings for him and that I did believe I was gay. And he said, oh my God, like I'm so honored that you told me, but I'm really not good at relationships. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I feel devastated because I don't know what that means. I literally have never dated in my life at that point. Uh, and so I didn't realize that was a huge red flag. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was like, okay. So I kind of walked him down the stairs and we kissed anyway. And I was shocked. It was, first of all, kissing um, this man, it was like everything that I had been waiting for. Uh, in the past, I had kissed women um in these fleeting moments and i just remembered always thinking like this doesn't feel great like i don't know why people like kissing so much like all i can think about is like the other person's teeth <laughs> um, but then when i kissed this guy i was like oh like now like love songs make sense and you know i get the fuzzy feeling and i get why people like to do this and so it really was this moment of me realizing like my body actually is capable of feeling so many of these romantic uh, sexual um, desires that I didn't know I didn't know were possible. I actually thought they were um, bullshit in some ways. Um, so I have this like whole new world moment, but also uh, he's still bad at relationships. I'm I'm doing air quotes for all you listening at home. Uh, okay. uh, and when he um, disappeared for that week when he was away, um, I was so confused. I was like you know, we kissed and I felt something and now you're my boyfriend. Like that's kind of how the, <laughs> I was like, I've watched Cinderella enough times to know. Um, and he came back and uh, we had this conversation in which I said, I was like, I'm really upset. Like you didn't even tell me that you came back to campus. Like what happened? Uh, and he said, Dylan, um, here's a friend that I'm attracted to. I don't have to be emotionally accountable to you. And that broke my heart. And so in that same period, within like three months, basically, I figured out what it meant to really feel something, feel attraction for someone, and then also to feel heartbreak that for the first time. And it did, it felt like I was in pain and I didn't understand it. Uh, and I don't remember feeling so sad in such a sudden way um before that moment and my friend elizabeth uh i ran to her she was one of the first people that i confided in and um i was just like disconsolate i was so upset i was just streaming tears and i am close to my mother and she said you know if in other times you would reach out to your mom this would be the time and I did, I took a chance and I gave her a call and I was crying and my mom said, 
uh, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Um, is this physical pain or emotional pain? And I said, emotional pain. And she said, was it a girl who did it or a guy? And I said, a guy. And she goes, your roommate? And I was like, no. Uh, and she goes, are you saying you're gay? And I was like, yes. Uh, and she's like, okay, well, you're still the same son that I loved 10 seconds ago. And uh, what did this guy do? And he must have been a jerk. And like, are you safe? And she just like fully stepped into the role that she need, needed to be uh, in that moment. And I will always be grateful. She was completely there for me. Um, when I was at my lowest and just needed her to understand. Um, and then she asked, do you want me to tell your dad? Um, and I said, no, I wanted to tell him myself. Uh, my parents are together, but my dad, as far as I knew it in that moment, um, was going to be the harder conversation um, and had expressed some homophobic things growing up, many homophobic, homophobic things growing up. Um, and so I went home for spring break and I had done a lot of prep and me and my dad, my dad and I, we spent the whole weekend together and we went to, um, the YMCA and we're in the men's locker room and I say, not here. And then, uh, we're in this park and we're talking about art, my art history class and feminism. And I'm like, okay, how is it? Like, it's so obvious to have like, um, but not there. Um, and then finally we go on this long walk around the neighborhood and I'm like, dad, I have something to tell you. Um, but before I say anything, I need you to know that I love you and I don't need you to react right now. Like whatever I say please save your reaction and give yourself time to process um, because it's going to be big. Um, and I said, before I say anything, I need you, I need to know from you that you love me. And he said, yes. And I then told him and I was crying. And then to my surprise, he started crying and he said, Dylan, I'm so sorry for all the homophobic things I ever said. And you're so special. And now you can truly be happy. Mm. And I did not see that coming at all. Uh, I knew it was a true gift because I had friends who had been kicked out that I knew of that were very close to me. Um, and so that moment, seeing my dad's love for me change his worldview is what also set me on this path to becoming an activist um, in my future and in my career. Um, and that's how I came out uh, specifically to my friend community at Davidson and then to my parents. Um, there is a funny moment when I first came home, um, my mom wanted to prime the conversation. And so she rented Dallas Buyers Club because <laughs> um, she just saw gay in the theme, uh, but she didn't know what it was about. Oh. And so there was this very <laughs> uncomfortable viewing when I knew I had to come out to my dad and we're watching this movie about um, a very tragic um, AIDS story. And I was like, oh, this is really not the segue that I wanted, like, thank great a, a for effort mom, but not, not the moment. Um, and so we actually, we, we didn't finish that movie in that first night, but then after, uh, I'd officially come out to my dad, uh, at once we had circled back to our house, he was like, Dylan, let's finish that movie and make some brownies. And I was like, yes. <laughs> oh so, uh, uh. circle. Wow, thank you for sharing. 
thank you for giving me the space to do so. Yeah, I, um, I think it's so special the way that, really the way that both of your parents reacted. Like, it's incredible that your mom like immediately stepped into the role that you needed and without, it seems like without hesitation, just like snapped into, this is what I need to do for my child mode. And it honestly, it kind of reminded me of what you said in the beginning of our conversation of like, you snapped into survival mode and you snapped into what you needed for yourself in that moment too. And like a really cool parallel of like seeing you and your mom kind of calling on the same skill set, I guess, of like knowing what Dylan needs and snapping into action immediately. Um, so that was, that was a neat observation for me to have. Um, and then with your, with your dad, I, I think it's, so a few years ago, um, when I was in LA for one of our Shabbatanim, I was having a conversation with our colleague, Justin Rosen-Smolin, and mm -hmm. I honestly can't remember like what prompted the conversation, but I will always remember what he said, which was um, be open to letting people surprise you. Mm. And it just, I wish I could remember what we were talking about, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter. But I have carried that with me um, in the work that I do as an activist with Keshet and trying my hardest not to go into conversations and go into spaces with assumptions and just letting myself like be open to being surprised and like, having my world rocked by whatever's about to happen. And it seems like, I mean, like in a million years, it seems like you never would have thought that your dad would cry with you and immediately apologize for knowing that he had said things that were hurtful and validating you in a way that's like, now you can be happy. And you're like, yes, oh my God, like, holy shit. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, if I had known it was gonna be that easy, like it was like, <laughs> right. I was like, where's the teleprompter? I was like, he's literally reading like the script that every queer kid wants, and I, it was really, it felt like a miracle. I felt like I was receiving a miracle. Uh, yeah, that's receiving a miracle. That's like incredible. And um, I'm just writing that down because I like that receiving a miracle. Um, Do you think it's like, like, I don't know how to ask this, so I'll just ask it. Your dad must have have said a lot of homophobic things over a long period of time for him to know, like, I need to apologize for this thing that I've been doing. Is that fair to say, or is it not, does that oh, that's, not line that's, up? It's very fair to say. Okay. I mean, there's some context about my dad too. So both my parents are from New York, um, and my dad, he was born in Brooklyn and then his family moved to Co-op City in the Bronx. Um, and he grew up there in a predominantly working class neighborhood as one, as a Jewish person um, in a community that wasn't predominantly Jewish. And he would often say things that, you know, he had to be tough um, to survive. He also had a very traumatic life. Um, he lost both his parents when he was fairly young. Um, and so I think in some ways, 
you know, he wanted both me and my sister to be tough because that's how he saw the world. Like you have to have a thick exterior um, to make it through um, and to prove yourself, especially like as a Jewish person in which there's a lot of like negative stereotypes. Um, and that came across like in my upbringing, I think as this like desire to be the specific type of masculine or um, macho and, you know, really encouraging me to do any kind of sport or be athletic um, to be tough. Uh, and it just, it, you know, it was like, I was oil and these um, uh, boxes were watered. I just like couldn't, like literally I, I, I was contouring myself and I couldn't do it. I, I tried like, you know, I did baseball, I did basketball, I did soccer, I did tennis, I did racquetball, I did swimming, I did taekwondo. Like I tried to plug myself in in so many ways and it just never stuck until I did theater for the first time. <laughs> the best sport. And then I was like, wow, like, wait, this is, this is it. Um, and in the same way, like with the, with kissing that guy for the first time, I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel loved in my body. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my dad just really wanted to give me the specific script because it was a way to protect me, but he didn't realize that it was hurting me. Yeah. That's, and I'm, and when I was bringing that up, it wasn't meant for judgment. It just was meant mm -hmm. like to ask like more, I guess it was a way to ask for context. Um, mm -hmm. That's what's so, you know, like you're bringing up, like your dad was doing the best he could to protect you and it ended up really hurting instead of helping. And it's just like, I think about that all the time with, with parents and it's like, mm -hmm a lot of times like they're just doing the best they can with the information they have. And no matter what parents do, they're still going to like fuck with their kids. And like, it right. doesn't matter. It just, it's just always going to be the wrong, not always going to be the wrong thing, but it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it feels like it's such a hard thing to be a parent and like know what's right and know, is this going to fuck up my kid? I don't know. Is this going to fuck up my kid? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're also just people. And I like, it didn't, it took me to my like mid thirties, uh, no, my mid twenties um, to, to like actually intellectualize the fact that my parents are literally just people who like had babies and then are, we're like, okay, now what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I do this too is, and I think a lot of people do this um, which is like, I assume that how I think and feel is how another person is going to react to something mm -hmm. and it's never true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I can imagine like as a parent, like that's the ultimate mind trap because you're like, I literally like part of my genes are in this one child, you know, therefore I must know what they want to need. And it's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that is actually someone who is going to think and react differently. Um, so it's hard. I mean, I definitely give every parent a lot of grace and because I know that I'm prone to projecting my own sense of self to, on, onto other people. Yeah. But I just got to come back to the fact that people think differently. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> um, okay. So a couple of things. One, 
each sport you were naming, I was trying to picture Dylan like playing that sport and it was very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> like Taekwondo, okay, come on. Like you trying to, like, like you doing a layup is like hilarious to me. <laughs> oh, and, and you know what? A layup was like the best thing. I even, here's like a, a quintessential moment of Dylan doing basketball. So I did a basketball camp. Oh God, oh, oh in middle school. Oh God, oh, it was... It was a lot. Um, and basically every morning there would be these like workouts, like these uh, conditioning workouts. And I literally got a pass to not do them because I was like, I have allergies. Like I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty amazing. I loved basketball with all of my heart and like played from, you know, a really young age. And then um, in sixth grade, um, was when you could do a traveling team. And, um, for whatever reason, I wasn't allowed to do the traveling team. And so I like got set behind all of my like classmates. And so then in seventh grade, when it was like middle school, I don't know why I did that in quotes. It was actually middle school. Um, I just was like far behind skill wise. And I got cut from middle school basketball, seventh and eighth grade. I tried both years. Um, and then in freshman year, I don't, I don't know why we're talking about sports. It's, never, never mind. But like, <laughs> I loved it. I loved basketball. So I was like thinking about this, but we can talk about my journey with basketball on another podcast. <laughs> um, I have a lot more to say about that. But um, also before, okay, so when you were explaining um, your like, this like, you telling your, the senior guy, can we just name him like Kip? I don't know. Yeah, let's call him Kip. Great. So Kip, um, I don't know why Kip, but here we are. Um, I'm okay. So I have, I have a few things. One, as you were describing it, I was like, this feels like Disney to me. And then you were like, and then you said it was a whole new world moment. And I was like, nailed it. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, so like you, you emphasize like this was a huge red flag of like mm-hmm. him explicitly saying like I'm not good at relationships and then both of you proceeding to be intimate in a way of by by way of kissing which in my book is very intimate um so I'm I'm curious to know if you'd be willing to share if you think like that was a defining moment for you and how you view on how you have interacted in relationships henceforth and because like I know for me I see my patterns very clearly and I get stuck in them even though I know they are red flags and bad for me I'm like well this is home this feels comfortable I'm just gonna stick in this for a while Mm. uh I mean that's the tea uh I think I mean I think it was very um I think that I I'm even starting now to realize how much I consumed as this proto-queer boy, um, you know, a lot of Disney princess stories, a lot of soap operas, um, and then an adolescence in which I didn't get to try an experiment with dating. Um, And so then, you know, there I am coming in hot as a 20-year-old and... I'm still mentally um, wanting a fantasy. Uh, and it, it really took, it's taken a long time um, to 
like confront that that's not real. I mean, to confront that um, a man can't save me, to confront that I'm not there to, that me being with someone is not gonna make happily ever after come true. Um, That actually I have a lot of work to do on my own um, to be a good partner to myself um, that must happen before I want to build something with another human being. And it took a lot of me like really having rose colored glasses every time and then having those rose colored glasses um, um, debunked is what I'll say. <laughs> this is smash, but that's nicer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I think like, uh, mazel to you for figuring this out at your young, young age. Um, how old are you? I'm 25. I'm going to be 26 in May and mm. God willing. Um, maybe I don't have to have a zoom birthday, but it most likely will be a zoom birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I hope, I hope not, but who knows? Um, yeah, something you just said really resonated with me about, um, and this actually, this has come up on other episodes too of as queer people, we don't get the opportunity to kind of like make those teenage mistakes with like people we're dating and we don't have the opportunity to kind of try things on and get our hearts broken at like a younger age. And so we're having our adolescence at a much older age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just makes things a lot harder. And it's it, for me, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I felt broken so much. It's like, why is this so hard for me? Why does this feel like so challenging? And then I think too, um, I, I I feel like I'm on like my third adolescence of like, I had my like fake one. Yeah. I had my like gay one and now I'm in my like trans identity. How do I move through the world? How do I date? How do I interact with people as a trans person? And so that, that also was like, God, I'm 35. Like, mm. can we just like be, be done with this? Like, can I just like, <laughs> can I move past adolescence for God's sake? It's like the worst time. <laughs> I've been stuck in it. Like fucking Groundhog's Day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, in some ways, I mean, I also see like the blessing there too, that um, I've been able to have some growing pains with the self-awareness of being older. And Mm -hmm. I do think those can be a very beautiful combination as well. Um, I'm seeing now, uh, you know, through my college years and my early twenties, I mean, I'm just, just (laughs) touching my mid twenties now, but, um, uh, I, you know, I've had so many romantic escapades, uh, of varying lengths, um, and really been deep in that adolescent mentality. Uh, but I've also been around a lot of really supportive queer community and mental health resources and emotional growth and um, independence uh, to lean on um, and elders, queer elders to surround myself with. And now um, I feel like it's allowed me to get deeper in myself um, 
because of all these people who have um, really taken an interest in like helping me grow. Um, and I think had I been an adolescent, I would have just been, you know, fumbling through uh, a lot of these same problems, but without a robust queer support system, because I was growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, where it was extremely homogenous and there were no visible queer people that I knew of yeah. who were um, in a position of being older than me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I'm glad you're able to find the like silver lining in that. Um, cause I know my, I mean, my experience is just different. Like I struggled a lot and think I'm still struggling a little bit more so than I care to admit sometimes. Um, but that's, I mean, but I also have support system in place to try to like help keep me, keep me moving forward, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> um, right. moving on. Um, But like, I also, so two more things um, that I want to like take away from this story and then we can talk about other stuff. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, just like you, you mentioned a few different times about like, like when you were kissing Kip for the first time. Kip. <laughs> <laughs> we love Kip. We love, do we, do we still talk to Kip? Do we still? Uh, we do not. Okay, great. So when he when I get a friend request from Kip, I will deny it. Um, that won't happen. Um, but you mentioned like feeling in your body for the first time, and then you mentioned it again in doing theater. Um, mm. And I would love to hear if you can like describe more what you mean by that. Of like in those moments, like what what just what it felt like to to be in your body again or not again but for the first time yeah yeah oh my god these are so such loving questions thank mm -hmm. you Tubbs. yeah um well i think some of the i i almost it's helpful to, to think about the before and after for me so in the before of me being deeply closeted or not knowing theater it had been I had a very constant battle of I was very scared of my body because I did not want to be gay. I like felt a desire for men when I was fairly young, um, maybe even like around 12, I mean, in puberty, but still. Um, and as soon as I recognized it, I felt like I was sick. I felt like I didn't want to be true because I had this you know, lack of representation. And I also had this fear that it would make my life horrible. Um, and I didn't see queer people being out and living lives that were full and happy. I just had, you know, Will and Grace on TV. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't even allowed to watch it. It was my parents watching it. Uh, and they were laughing at the queer people, not necessarily with them. Um, and so it was a very lonely feeling. And so I kind of, to cope with that, I thought I would just live inside my head and I would become really focused on school and I would try and be as brainy and nerdy as I could be and um, really be like separated from my body uh, because my body was a place of queer feelings and I didn't want to talk about them. Um, and so then when I first did theater, 
it was when I was um, um, I mean it was in middle school but around like the around like sixth through eighth grade is when it was like starting to come together um, and I started to do my first shows um, it was actually my sister, my little sister, she's five years younger. She was a rock in Jungle Book and I saw her be this rock and I was like, I can do that. <laughs> can I ask a really quick follow-up question? Yeah. She was a rock, so she like, just like sat there? Yeah, she was like in the ensemble and it was like, you know, she was a little kid and she I was I love like, that. Great. And I was like, wow. I can do that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I can okay. rock that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, this doesn't look that hard at all. Um, <laughs> Of course, and it's very hard. It's a craft, of course. As of course. Um, but I remember I did, my first show was Godspell. And it was this group of people from across the Raleigh area and kids who were older than me. Um, kids who may or may not have been queer. We didn't talk about it, but it was just this feeling of like, people were like touching each other and hugging each other and um, singing and singing loudly and flamboyantly. And there was just like so much um, joy uh, and um, camaraderie. It felt like I was on, I was actually like, you know, all, all these other times I've been on teams in an athletic way. <laughs> I never felt like people really cared if I was there or not. Like literally I have a very clear memory of uh, when I was on swim team and oh god i hated the swimmates they were horrible um and i would always try and just like be in the crowd to avoid being in any heats um but i think at one point there was uh this group and they found me and they were like hey like we need a replacement for the humana humana uh, relay and i was like okay uh <laughs> and i remember getting so anxious that i hid in the bathroom like through the heat so i just wouldn't yeah you, you skipped it i just skipped it so you're I like i'll it. be your replacement and then you're like psych yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> just kidding, no. Um, just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, uh, so, and, but no one gave uh, a flying um, hoot about oh. it. Uh, like, I, I never was like, hey, where were you? Whatever. But, like, with theater, it felt like I was a part of this bigger thing. I felt like people really wanted to get to know me and um, know what was in my head, and that let me come into my body, too. Um, and so that's when I felt a real sense of belonging. And it just kept growing. Every time I did a theater uh, performance or show, I felt like I was finding my people. Uh, and I felt like I was finding people who cared about me as a full human being. Mm. Who, who, if I had hidden in the bathroom, would have tried to find me. Um, and that meant a lot. That really helped me grow. And with kissing Kip, um, it wasn't necessarily what he did. It was more, um, it was this like fulfillment of like a wish that I had had for myself for many years. And I, you know, overcame a fear. And, you know, in kissing Kip, I 
and to feel so good in my body for my body to like feel like it was like bubbling with joy like I was I mean I felt like Rice Krispies like Mm. you know literally I kiss him I kiss a man for the first time he goes away and I was just like (gasps) I was jumping up and down I was squealing I um you know I had a dog at the time named Pippin and technically Pippin is the first person my family came out to. And Pippin kind of like, who is a peekapoo and mm. he had a big shaggy brown face. And he like kind of looked at me like, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm gay. Cause I kiss you all the time too. <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, put Pippin down. I just felt so alive. And I like called my friend um, who had been helping me through uh, even flirting with this guy. And I just remember like kind of screaming on the phone, like it felt so good. Like this is what I wanted. And it, it's, it's that it's like that feeling of um, being able to trust my experience and um, my own, having agency, you know, I'm not trying to like repress this thing inside me. I'm actually letting it out. And guess what? It didn't kill me. You know, I kissed mm-hmm. him. I felt good. I didn't feel like I was, you know, um, going to wilt and shrivel. And so it was almost like disproving that story um, that I was bad. Like how, how could uh, being bad feel as good in some ways? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, the way that you're describing like both of those m- moments in life, um, they're like very reminiscent to me on like the gender euphoria that I feel of like when I'm feeling so like a hundred percent validated in my gender and in my body. Mm. Um, and I don't know that I've ever, um, heard a term for like, what's the equivalent of gender euphoria, but like for sexual orientation, like sexuality, like sexual euphoria, I guess but, like, <laughs> that feels like that could be misconstrued. In a, in a way that I don't mean, um, or maybe I do mean it that way. Um, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like I, there's this like passage from Sarah Ahmed, who's this queer theorist. And Sarah writes that when two bodies that have been separated by history for so long come together, they form new worlds. And that's how I experience like that's how I experienced this kind of sexual euphoria is that, Oh my God, there's another world that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because mm-hmm. both of our bodies uh, were meant to be separate uh, through history and time. And yet we did something that was the counter narrative and it created something new. Yeah. Um, that's reminding me of, um, I think I even saw it on your Instagram story and then I put it in mine. Let me see if it's still there. Yeah. It's disappeared. Um, Nope. Finding yourself is not really how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket. You are also not lost. Your Mm -hmm. true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions you drew Mm -hmm. as a kid that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding Mm -hmm. yourself, and that's in quotes, um, is actually returning to yourself, an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering who you were before the world got its hands on you. Um, That's Emily McDowell. Mm-hmm. um and it's all just like you know that just it all just feels so like intertwined and relevant of like returning to who we've always known we are and like what that feels like um is euphoric it's amazing mm-hmm. um 
uh, to quote you earlier and also Aladdin, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just want to say you literally said it was a whole new world moment. So perfect full circle. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned, um, okay, so two things. One, um, so you were a theater person when you were younger and yes. like throughout your time as a human. Um, yes. And that's actually how we met was through the theater. Yes. Um, when Thank You For Coming Out um, did the, the um, Boston Improv Festival, we yeah. were connected because you were one of our monologists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like super special. And now you're my colleague at Keshet, which is also like just like so great. Yeah. <laughs> and we're both in New York. And it, yeah, I mean, that moment of um, like when you first reached out to, when you first reached out to me, about this project, this um, performance at the um, Boston Comedy Festival, Boston Improv Festival. Mm -hmm. It just, it blew my mind. I was like, this is the marriage of the two things that I love. Oh Mm. my God. And uh, the fact that you're doing it, I mean, for all you who are not following, uh, LGBTQ stuff and uh, theater. Yes, I was going to ask <laughs> what the marriage consists of. Thank you for knowing. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then to meet you and to meet your improv troupe, it just felt like such a perfect pairing. I mean, I love what you do, um, turning people's coming out stories uh, into long form improv. Is that what it, it is? Uh, yeah. Um, it just was so cool to see these like vulnerable um memories from my life turned into just joy like it it felt like popcorn like this Mm. popcorn joy uh these nuggets of tenderness kind of exploded into moments of comedy that we could all share together and it's like this intimate moment that I feel like I always carry around could now become like an offering um to make something new and fun so I was so grateful for that night. And then I had no idea that would turn into like one of the pivotal moments that allowed me to work at Keshet, which it does LGBTQ Jewish um, inclusion work in the United States um, through knowing you. Um, and then also to move to New York because they Keshet had a position in New York and I'd always wanted New York in the first place. And so I moved from Boston to New York um, in September of this past year. Bashar. Um, that means like meant to be in Hebrew. Um, yeah, what a, what a lovely story we have. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love us. (laughs) I love us like so much. (laughs) Um, so I don't want to do this because I could talk to you for 17 more hours um, but I need to move us into our last segment, which is a rapid fire segment. I have a whole list of things to talk about. That just means you'll have to come okay. back. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I would love to, honestly. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is the rapid fire and, um, just answer as quickly as possible. There are no right or wrong answers except one and you'll know it when it happens. Okay. Uh, but it's all, this is all just for fun and games. Okay. Uh, but just, okay. Ready? Yes. Okay. Pencil or pen? Pen. Acting or singing? Acting. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Beach or mountains? Beach. Meat or veggies? 
veggies? Bagels or donuts? Oh, what? No, uh, donuts. Oh, oh, Bobby. Okay. <laughs> that was one you got wrong. If you could. Oh no. Oh, oh. <laughs> I just love bagels. Okay. Train or plane? Plane. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Night or day? Day. Favorite kitchen item? Oh, my spatula. I feel like a lot of people have said spatula. What's up? <laughs> what's up with spatula? Because <laughs> you, you have to use it so often. Like it is like, oh my god! Like I'm constantly cleaning that little guy. Oh my god! Maybe get a second. Just kidding. <laughs> I um, can't. <laughs> I know that's true. Not now. I know. Um, Dylan, you are just such a delight and a pleasure. Um, do you have like social media that people can follow you on? If if that's if oh, that's oh, their jam. Yes. This was so great. Um, I really thank you for holding space and for having this amazing podcast. It's really lovely. Um, And also you're an amazing colleague and friend. If you want to follow me uh, on Instagram, I'm a Dylan grows in Brooklyn. So it's a D Y L A N grows in Brooklyn. And the reason why it's not just because I'm kitschy and corny and I live in Brooklyn currently. Um, So between my, uh, junior and senior year of college. And so I came out when I was a sophomore and then junior year, I was, you know, becoming a full on homosexual. (laughs) Um, And of course, to finish that journey, you have to spend a summer in New York City um, as a newly 21 21 year old. Um, And so that's what I did. So I had moved to New York City um, for this internship with um, AA GLAD. And my dad has this tradition of helping me move into places. And so he actually helped me move to Brooklyn the first time. I was actually living in Clinton Hill for that summer. And as he leaves, he says, oh, it's a Dylan Grows in Brooklyn. And it just stuck with me. And it made me feel like this is the kind of melding of my, this new chapter in my life um, with a city that I love. Uh, so Dylan grows in Brooklyn in my Instagram and honestly that's the best social media um, to use I I am on Facebook I think I'm Dylan Goodman one but it's Dylan Goodman good man yeah cool thank you um I also don't didn't know the story behind a Dylan grows in Brooklyn that's really sweet yeah yeah um you are a lovely colleague and a friend And I love you very much. And thank you for coming out. Oh, thanks, Dubs. I love you too. Uh, Be well, stay well. And to all you listening, um, I'm sending you love and strength. Let's do this. Yeah. Thanks, Del. Thanks, Dubs. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You For Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.